0: This is gonna break the the ring fence that the LBMA CME have.
1: They now have to keep printing or we crash. We've got this ticking time bomb. Talking gold with the one and only Andrew McGuire. Welcome to Live from the Vault. Welcome to Live from the Vault, my name is Shane Moran and I'll be your host for this week's episode and from the entire Live from the Vault team worldwide, we want to thank you for your continued support and as you can imagine, the community keeps growing more and more every single week and we thank you. Uh, Now there's a lot to talk about during these historic times and Andrew McGuire is in the house with our special returning guest by popular demand, Mr. David Kranzler in the house and we'll be talking gold here. This is going to be an amazing episode. So fasten your seatbelts. You know, the life from the Vault gives you access to information, gives you access to updates that you just can't get anywhere else. And this week's episode is no different, no exception. And just before we get to Talking Gold with Andrew McGuire and our special guest, Dave Kranzler, remember to please keep spreading the word about this channel by liking, by sharing, smash that subscribe button. You know, it really helps us to reach even more and more people as these important topics continue to emerge here. And then make sure you click on that bell if you'd like to be notified as each episode goes live. So hit that button, not now, but hit it right now. And with that, let me introduce our special guest. If you haven't met Dave, Dave Kranzler is a hedge fund manager, precious metals analyst, and the author of a bi-weekly subscription newsletter, The Mining Stock Journal. And after years of trading expertise built up on Wall Street, Dave now co-manages a Denver-based precious metals and mining stock investment fund and strives to help people understand the truth of our financial system and economy. You know, Dave's been featured on a very many episodes here at Live from the Vault and I know our community loves to hear Dave and his takes on the market. And with that, let's head over to the UK and talking gold with the one and only Andrew Maguire and our special guest, Dave Kranzler. Over to you, Andrew. Dave, honestly, this is such a blast for me. I really
0: enjoy connecting up with you. Um, you, I think we just think in so similar ways. And um, in fact, I will start by saying, and and, and, and I don't want to embarrass you here. I will start (laughs) by saying, back in November, when we were making lows in in gold, you were one of the few people to come out and say, you know what? this looks and we talked about it on a show um you said this staff looked like um 2008 um when you know really when we were talking about a massive rally that commenced in two thousand eight, and because we were see you, you suggesting that gold can rise with the dollar and i think it's it was an interesting time but you you were the first to actually nail that um in our conversation so i have to i have to bring it up i brought it up in my last episode as well because you have to, it, it, you really do have to put the credit where where it's due.
2: Oh, I appreciate that. Um, yeah, as it turns out, I mean, what's unfolded since November is again, it's it's all very similar to the the November December period. Well, in January, you know, in two thousand eight, two thousand nine. Um, one of the things, and I, I tweet about this. That I, in fact, I tweeted about it today. Um, I noticed, I want to say, maybe starting in early December, and it might have been in November when it started occurring, but there's been several days where we've had big down days in the the markets, the equity markets, and yet the precious metals sector diverges positively and and moves higher, you know, and today's a good example. I mean, um, the Amex Gold Bug Index is up 0.7% while the Dow's down, 0.8%, 0.8%, S&P's down over 1%, and NASDAQ's down 1.5%. So, I mean, there's been several days like that, and I mean, to me, that's that just underscores how bullish the current environment is for the precious metal sector.
0: Yeah, you, you just did something uh, quite recently. Um, you penned a piece on the central bank gold rush, um, something we're also seeing, um, my friend, any, any anything else you can give us on that, Dave?
2: Well, you know, I've just noticed. I haven't read the article yet, um, but the the year end, the end of you know the Q four numbers and December numbers are starting to be published for um, gold and silver importation by the Eastern Hemisphere countries. India imported a record amount of silver in in twenty twenty two. And there was again, I'm just going by the headline. Um, but I guess in in 2022 Switzerland uh, sent five hundred and twenty four tons of gold to China, which so that would be gold that is imported into China through through via Hong Kong, right? Um, so that doesn't capture all of the gold that goes into China. As you know, I think it was 2014 when China opened up Beijing for, um, gold importation. And I remember I read that, I was reading the article in the South, the, the South China Morning News, I think it's called. I have the, I have the link somewhere here, uh, still. And I remember specifically one of the bylines was that they were not going to report the data on the amount of gold going into Beijing, going into China through Beijing, intentionally, to try and keep the world, um, you know, to keep what they're doing with with gold opaque. Um, and again, what's interesting about that five hundred and twenty four tons going into China in twenty twenty two is that China produces, you know. 400 tons a year might even be a little more than that and none of that leaves the country in fact it's again you can't prove it because we don't we don't have access to the numbers but uh a lot of there's a lot of people who study this more closely than i do and and they think that the people's bank of china takes every ounce of gold that's produced in china onto its balance sheet
0: yeah and i think you, you i mean also on top of everything else i mean it's not just us i mean there's a lot of empirical evidence and, and our liquidity providers say there's a massive hole in, 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 in when you add up the numbers and what you're seeing yeah. actually move because China um, buys through third parties too. And, and, we, and we certainly mm-hmm. know one or two of the liquidity providers are third parties. Um, and it's unreported. I mean, there is no requirement to report it. And I think what happens is a lot of the time it gets um, deposited in the state-held banks, and and it's it's there, but it's not counted as reserves because it's there. But at any point, and we've been saying, I know you, you you've been on this as well. At any point, they could they could turn it into reserves and and publicise these reserves. It isn't in their advantage to do so because. Why get the gold price to to quit higher than you actually need it at this point?
2: That, that's right. Um, yeah, and I think the only reason the numbers that go the the, the gold numbers into China through Hong Kong get reported is because Hong Kong reports them. It's not reported by China, by the Chinese government. Um, and, and you know, I mean, in terms of who who has the custody of that gold, I. It really doesn't matter, but, um, you know, I mean, the PBOC could have custody of it, and they're just telling us, I forget what their latest number was, 1,800 tons or something. I mean, they're telling the world one number when the real number is a lot higher. It's analogous to the Federal Federal Reserve and the U.S. Treasury telling the world 8,100 tons in the United States, and more than likely the real number is considerably lower than that, if not zero at this point
0: yeah and, and and the question is how much of that one hundred tons is rehypothecated because as we all know i mean if you want more any more of a glaring example i mean what what a joke um it was germany wanted like three thousand uh, three hundred uh, sorry three hundred tons back um and it was going to take seven years um also they were refusing to allow, allow audits i mean this is actually ludicrous stuff so if you ever wanted a red flag uh, I mean, if if somebody, if I went to to a vault and said, I'd, I'd like to pick up my gold, oh no, you, you're gonna have to wait for it. Well, but it means it's not there. <laughs> it just means it's either that or it's or se- several people own it at the same time. So it's a farce.
2: Well, I mean, if you remember, I'm sure you remember the story. Um, the, the, the German government wanted to send a delegation over to the Fed, over to New York to inspect its gold being held in custody by the Fed. And the Fed responded with, well, no, the gold spread out among nine vaults, we'll let you into one. <laughs> and they were like, uh, nine. And then a couple months later, that's when they made that repatriation request. And it was originally for, I want to say... 675 tons or something like that it was a number that i think i think the official number that the u.s is holding on behalf of germany was something like 1500 tons and it was a number that would take it below a thousand and 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 the fed balked at that and they that's how they settled on the 300 tons over seven years which it it didn't take seven years i think it got done in three but according to reports from entities that saw the gold that was being moved. A lot of it wasn't even the original bars that came from Germany right after World War II.
0: Yeah, considering that we can put 25 tons of silver, or gold for that matter, on on a flight. um, I mean, it really should have taken seven days. I mean, so so it, it shouldn't take even three years, but I think the embarrassment, it's like people like yourself, us, everyone was out there saying, what's going on here? Why, why would it take that long to simply pick up a shipment and send it back to the owner? I mean, it's a ludicrous situation.
2: I think we know why.
0: <laughs> but you know, you just mentioned something. Um, you know, oh yeah, look, I'll tell you what, you can come and visit OneVault. Hey, does that not remind you of the structure we're looking at right now? And we, I was d- done a piece, I think last time and this time, about the asymmetric. Uh, nature of a, a Basel III compliant over-the-counter contract, which is deliverable, um, and the minute it lands in New York in, in in the COMEX, then you get the COT side of that picture, and so basically the COT report consists of the leveraged unknown leveraged. Uh, amount of leverage on a position which is backed by a Basel III compliant over the counter contract so this asymmetric trade which is deliberately imbalanced no one knows so what what the real picture is because how many times have these Basel III compliant over the counter positions which legitimize the hedging of positions no one knows how many times that's been leveraged and it, what you just described is exactly that kind of a situation where you've got, yeah, come on over. But you can't see all of it, but you can see a bit of it.
2: <laughs> yeah, that's, that's exactly what the point is. And I think where they run into trouble, as you know, is when entities that have titled claim to the gold sitting in custodial vaults in New York and London, when they go to, to say, hey, time for me to take personal possession of it. When can I come pick it up? And I think we're starting to see that, you know, as you know, and as you've documented over the last year. And I think that's part of what's been pushing up the price of gold.
0: Yeah. And I think I think we've also been doing a fair bit of work on on what really blindsided. I mean, obviously, we saw. So the usual game, didn't we at the end of 2022, we saw all these bets, commercial bets, uh, insider bets against gold rising up, risen up from November must be time to rinse these bleeders. Let's let's get them set up. And then Sparebank comes out on the second day of trading, on the first day of trading on the second of, of January and says, oh, by the way, um, we've just tokenized physical gold. <laughs> now, hang on a minute. You've tokenized physical gold at the margin, it was only 270 million, but at the margin, that's a big deal. But for, I think even more than that, what was interesting, we've been tracking this story very closely through our liquidity providers, what the idea is to set a benchmark gram price for all commodities in gold. And they've tokenized it, put it on the blockchain, the 21st century uh, 21st century technology meeting 5,000-year-old physical gold. Suddenly, you have the ability to de-dollarize all commodities, and and, and commodities. We're talking about thousands. Of, and the te- I mean, people saying, "Oh, yeah, what about liquidity?" There's going to I be mean, no liquidity. Hang on, there is thousands of tons of uh, of. Um, <clears throat> I mean, really, I think the um, the the global oil and gas market is 7,500 billion, Um, add in the 5,000 billion commodity and energy sectors. I mean, the scale of this adoption by the biggest holders of these commodities, the biggest buyers and sellers of these commodities, not in the West, are gonna adopt as much of this as possible. This is an interesting game changer, Dave.
2: It really is. And it's, as you point out, I mean, it's, it's the beginning of the end of the dollar. I mean, and you already see several, well, and it's, I mean, for a while, we've been seeing China and Russia settle their trade in their respective currencies. And, um, now they're doing that with a lot of the, I just, I guess for lack of a better term, just call them the Eastern hemisphere block countries. Um, and now that the, the Gulf countries are getting involved, I mean, I, that was, I mean, it, it, it kind of was glossed over in the mainstream media, although they reported it, but I believe it was either the oil minister or the foreign minister of Saudi Arabia at at Davos said, uh, Saudi Arabia would look very closely at settling oil transactions in alternative currencies, specifically one. And um, I think it might have mentioned. The rupee also, I, I don't, rem, I don't quite recall from the article I read. Um, but the funny thing about that is it's already going on, right? So yeah, he told the world, this is what we're looking at and what we're probably going to do, but they're already doing it. It's not, not in small quantities, but I mean, not in large quantities, but in small quantities. But obviously that statement told you there was, they were going to, you know, expand the scope of it. So I mean, what happens to the dollar in that case?
0: Yeah. And you can imagine the the consternation uh, um, from the West here, from especially from the U.S. When you think that what you've just done is most people who ever done that, Saddam Hussein, uh, Libya, I mean, most people are annihilated when you tr- exchange gold for oil. And suddenly we find Ghana did it, uh, has been doing it. Uh, I- Iran has been doing it. I mean, Lord, this is, this is, as you say, it's starting to spill out and it's already going on.
2: That's right. You know, and I've I've actually thought about that a lot over the last few couple of years. You know, well, look what happened to Saddam Hussein and look what happened to Gaddafi when they started making noises about settling their oil trades in euros. And but, they, you know, they can't do that to Putin and Xi Jinping, you know, or what do they call the What's the name of the, the guy that the, the guy who runs Saudi Arabia, SBB or MBB or something? I was. I mean, they, you know, the U.S. military can't go in there and eliminate those guys. I mean, it's you start World War Three if they tried.
0: Yeah. And, and Afghanistan didn't go too well. So maybe maybe that wouldn't be the best idea. So but I mean, hey, look, we're not taking sides here. But but essentially, you know, we've got the SWIFT system. The weaponization of I'm not saying not taking sides with anybody, but what happened to Russia uh, through uh, through basically uh, weaponizing the dollar in creating uh, suddenly switching the swift system off for them Um, in China, certain uh, certain um, sanctions were put on to eliminate certain trades. And this guy, as you say, comes out on Davos on Bloomberg. I couldn't believe it. There he was saying, "Yeah, we're, we're going to be settling. You know, more and more of this is likely to go on. And why not? And why not? Well, I mean, that's a direct atta- attack on U.S. dollar hegemony. And so I can't imagine that you can switch the SWIFT system off for them. But it could happen. You could wake up one day and somebody like Ghana." Iran, it could be anywhere, and it could be switched off just like that with a weaponized dollar.
2: Oh, and I think it will be. I mean, obviously, based on reports over the last couple of years, Russia and China have been working on an alternative to the SWIFT system. And it it sounds like Russia and Iran actually have an alternative to the SWIFT system on a limited scale basis. And I mean, it's, it's just a matter of time. And I mean, part of the reason... I've always thought part of the, and this goes back 20 years in my thinking on this, I mean, part of the, because ever, you know, back, I mean, over the years, you know, gold, I call them gold bugs, but it's not, not in a pejorative sense. The gold investment community, silver investment community, like, well, why doesn't China just go out and, and you know, put a bit out there to to push the price a lot higher? And I'm like, well, first, why would they? If the West mm-hmm. is willing to sell them gold that gets moved over to China, at well below what what should be free market prices why would they you know why would they destroy that they're not going to but i mean the other problem is 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 think about what would happen if if china and well it would be particularly china because they still have a large i think they're still over a trillion in treasuries i just read the other day japan's below a trillion now in their tre- treasury holdings but imagine if they pulled the plug on the treasury market and the dollar You know, it it not only would, I mean, it would incinerate the US financial system, obviously, but it would also, it would hurt them because they still have a lot of capital tied up in dollar denominated assets and this, you know, specifically treasuries. So I've always felt like this was gonna be a, as changes historically in monetary regimes are, I always thought it was gonna be a a slow process. You know, I'm, I'm hoping I get to see it in my lifetime. It's gonna, I mean, it's fascinating.
0: Yeah, I think I think what's really changed the game and no one was expecting it has blindsided the so-called professional trade, which is the leveraged trade <clears throat> and the cartel is this tokenization of physical gold to price commodities. This is the thin end of a massive wedge. And, and while everyone thought eh, it's going to take five years or so before we even have to worry about this kind of stuff, this puts it on the front burner. And, I, and when you I, I mean. No one knows quite how much gold China has. No one actually knows how much gold Russia has. I mean, this is not the kind of thing you would would make available, but it's thousands and thousands and thousands of tons between this alliance. Tens of thousands of tons, very likely, but most of us believe that. So you do have enough liquidity at the right gold price to actually price commodities. And I think... This is mind blowing stuff to me. I mean, the more I think about it, the bigger a deal this is. And while we see all the, yeah, we say, see all the mainstream media saying, yeah, gold's risen since November because the Fed's backing off. Okay, yeah, maybe it helped. But they were still setting these guys up for a rinse. Because they figured, well, you know, as, as a CTA, well, very most of them can't even, I haven't even mandated to take physical delivery. It's just, it's not in their mandate. So, right. you know, a big percentage of them can be rinsed, will never take delivery. And that's the game. So it's really interesting. Suddenly, you lose control of the physical side of that market, which is what we're seeing here. The physical market is going to be dictated. It's mind-blowing to me. This is like, I don't understand Why there isn't a bigger deal being made of this?
2: I mean, since when did did the mainstream media, you know, especially in the UK and the US since I mean, the UK actually has better reporting, The, the FT has better reporting on the gold market than any, any of the mainstream media outlets in the US. But I mean, I'm sure they've been given a long time ago, explicit instructions not to discuss the precious metals, except to the extent that they have to because something's going on in the sector. But, I mean, if, if you look at the move we've had since the end of September, and that's really when this latest move got started. Um, I mean, I was I ran the numbers earlier today, um, and then just using the GDX ETF, it's up 45% since the end of September. Have you heard about it on CNBC, Bloomberg, I don't even think the FT has reported on it. So uh, I think I think the mainstream media has been kind of instructed. I mean, as we know, it's it's a tool of the government anymore. Um, I think it's been kind of instructed. Look, we're, we're trying to keep the precious metals out of the mainstream public. You know, we're we're trying to mute interest in that.
0: Well, it, the anti-dollar, anti-pound, anti-yen. It's the it's the anti-everything, isn't it? It's like it's the it's the ability to opt out. Of fiat currencies, so it's yes, really really that's that, that, that they must be um, they must be very upset, and I think that you do get um, often get usually it is around terrorism or it might be something other than that, but you do get do not print orders being sent out to all the press where they will not talk about certain things. they are issued something that says you don't mention this um, and we saw it through. We saw it through the pandemic. We saw it, we still see it. Um, And perhaps Trump, uh, sorry, not Trump, uh, perhaps um, Elon Musk has kind of brought that to the attention of people who thought it was all the big conspiracy theory. But yeah, I think you're right, Dave. I think they're probably, the reason it's not being mentioned is for those exact reasons.
2: I mean, GDX is up 45% over a time period when the U.S. equity markets and really the global equity markets are heading south. How does that not get attention and reported? You know, as I like to say, if the S&P had gone up 45% in the fourth quarter, they would have been doing naked cartwheels on CNBC to celebrate. And yet you don't hear about the fact that that the precious metal sector has had such a robust performance in the last quarter of the year, and it's carried over into this year. that That's,
0: that's I mean, it, it, it's so blatantly obvious. Uh, it is part of, I uh, mean, it's really, really part of the, as you say, that part of the uh, suppression. Uh, the, yeah. the, the gold price suppression thing obviously started 50, 50 odd, 52 years ago, wasn't it, when Nixon pulled the peg uh, and then they opened up the COMEX for the sole reason of creating paper market liquidity to control this. Right, So why would they suddenly try and back off? but uh, interesting? Yeah. So one thing that really, really, I mean, I, I get excited about too much stuff. I know I do. <laughs> <laughs> but silver. <laughs> I, I mean, we talked to you about silver before with you, and, and silver. <clears throat> I think what is is blowing my mind about silver, suddenly, I think, okay, all commodity and we talked about the size of the various commodity markets, energy markets, and in the thousands of billions of dollars. Yeah, it's not gonna happen overnight, but but essentially then having thousands or tens of thousands of tons of gold to actually digitize, uh, create a benchmark price, a gold gram price for oil, for commodities, all over the place. Now, what is interesting is that the more and talk about silver here. When you price silver in gold grams. What kind of yeah.
2: Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh there no, no, they
0: come. Yeah. Oh nice. <laughs> when you price <buy laughs> silver in gold grams, that takes away, that it attacks the so-called professional trade where where we saw the LBMA admit, oh yeah, professional trade's hundred to one, so what? Um, and that's how we net out positions. In other words that we don't have to have the physical we just net them down at the end of the day we set a fixed price and then we basically leverage it so all of a sudden you've now got the silver price being determined in other jurisdictions as you say like India uh, China uh, and, and countries like Russia are not adverse to silver so suddenly you've got the price of silver being set in gold grams Now what the hell is that going to do to the ratio trade because my liquidity providers are telling me holy smoke this is going to be discipline you cannot keep driving the silver to gold ratio up to it went up to 84 to one this week i mean what a joke um 84 ounces of silver to buy one ounce of gold ludicrous but the more you see these the all commodities and silver is a commodity. We has cut the commodity side of silver will be affected and will incorporate this gold for gram situation over the next period of time. And it will expand. This is going to break the the ring fence that the LBMA CME
2: have. Boy, that's I mean, that's a good question. Um I, I mean, I. I kind of always thought that repricing gold at some point, resetting the price of gold at some point would, is what would um, break the current monetary system. But as you point out, you're right. I mean, the Achilles heel could be silver and that, and that might be, I mean, if you watch, watch the, it, well, what do you mean if, of course you watch the charts, you watch them every minute like I do, <laughs> but uh uh I mean, in in priced in dollars on the COMEX, 24 has been kind of a line in the sand. And before that, it was 22. And when when silver got above 22, it it popped up, it ran up, went above 24, and and every time it goes above 24, it only stays there, you know, maybe a day or two, and then it gets pushed back down. And I, I think, to me, that's kind of the signal that that's what they're worried about more than gold is, is what happens with the price of silver. Because I mean, we saw in 2010 and in the first, in the first quarter of 2011, what happens when, when silver, when silver really catches fire, you know, especially because it's, it's not as liquid a market as gold. It's, It's much smaller. It's easier for them to manipulate, but at the same time, it's easier to squeeze from the short side. And, and I think that's, you know, part of what they're worried about, again, especially to me, the whole key hinges on people who entities that are keeping large quantities of gold and silver in bank custodial vaults when they go to remove that metal, you know, which we've been seeing on the COMEX and the LBMA over the last year, um, but not, not on a, you know, not on a, a gold rush basis. At, at some point, we're going to see that. And I mean, that's when these guys are in real trouble.
0: Yeah, because they don't have enough silver to back up these leveraged positions, as was disclosed on the LBMA webinar, where they openly disclosed how the professional trade works. And, and it's, it's as if it's as if we've never really we're never going to worry about this. We'll just carry on doing it this way. But I think this as we as silver gets priced in other currencies, including gold grams, um, this is going to expose, a, um, a, a. it very likely exposes an LME type short squeeze, which we, we saw in the nickel market. But it's so interesting because the very same company, Trafuga, um, issued a note, I think it was last week or the week before, um, that they are short covering um, their their positions, their, their copper warrants. I saw that. Uh, because to ensure we can supply our customers with the metals they need. They've been squaring up massive amounts of copper warrants, probably under pressure. So if that's happening, copper and silver, ebbs and flows are intertwined. And this 100 to 1 paper leveraged silver trade, it, it's ri- widely considered to have resulted in silver being cheap relative to all other commodities. So it's probably the most undervalued commodity. So. What is the potential? There's a huge potential here for what you just described—a short squeeze that has never been seen before.
2: Right, and and we, we're not even talking about the OTC silver derivative contracts. I mean, we have no idea what 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 those things look like, and I would bet you know. Well, let's just say I think either J.P. More—I think J.P. Morgan or City. It has the largest position in the the probably J.P. Morgan City's number two in the at least in the the U.S. based OTC silver derivative contracts. I would bet the CEOs of those two companies don't even know what those things look like. It's you know it's it's mathematic math whizzes you know in in the precious metals department of those banks that probably could tell you what they are, and they definitely don't want us to know what those contracts look like. But to me, that's also been a tool of price suppression and is likely, you know, these banks are likely quite short or potentially quite short physical silver based on those contracts. Yeah,
0: absolutely. I, 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 they are for sure. They have to be. This is this is a story yet to unfold. And I think, you know, you, you're talking about... Um, the, the potentially the largest short squeeze um, that could actually mirror uh, what, what the uh, nickel trade, you could contain the nickel trade because it was in the LME ring fence, it's small, you can settle, you can deal with the lawsuits. But I mean, we've been seeing, I've been watching the EFPs, for example. So forget the extra loadouts, which we know have been going on in gold and silver in the back, back doors of the vaults. But just, just so far uh, this year, there's been 190 tons of uh, of COMEX gold that has been uh, EFP'd into, the, into a, a compliant, an NSFR compliant physical market. And there's been something like 1,400 tons of silver EFP'd so far this year. And it's not NSFR compliant, which is which is why it, it won't be one-to-one. But if you're seeing this kind of, if you're seeing the physical market increasingly being set outside of the LBMA ring fence in other jurisdictions, where China is buying from, uh, India is buying from China, etc., etc., and everyone's setting, that price is being set outside of this ring fence. This is going to change the game. I do believe it will change the game.
2: Yeah, I, I agree. You know, and I, I, again, it's, it's, we haven't really seen Western entities make a move to take possession of, of the metal that they hold in these custodial vaults. And I mean, the Eastern hemisphere has intensified that movement. And I think that's where most of the drain on, on the LBMA is, is gone. Um, but at some point it's gonna happen on the COMEX and that's probably when it's lights out. Yeah,
0: and, and they cannot afford, they cannot afford to, they can't afford it to let it default because it would simply, you can't have such a big component default without massive repercussions. Um, people would lose faith. And uh, because that's after all, the hedging side of your transaction, It is always been supposed to be. The only place you can hedge in size. And if you can't do it, just like we saw in in March 2020, when it happened to be the pandemic in this instance, but we saw $100 spreads per ounce with gold. Well, because simply when they turned upon the liquidity provider, um, hang on, give it to us. Yeah, but hang on. No, no, we are just hedged in the COMEX. So. But it costs you $100 an ounce and you've got tons to buy back. I mean, luckily there was a bailout. But we did see a lot of second-tier banks exit that space. And I think they haven't come back. So liquidity is even thinner now. Real liquidity is even thinner. But to have a price set outside of the LBMA ring fence, to me, is increasingly they're going to they're need to unwind this position.
2: Yeah, absolutely. You know, and to me, ironically, what, what kind of set all this in motion or, or increased the speed at which it's being set in motion is it. it goes back to the US sanctions of Russia, you know, when the Ukraine war started. And yeah. I, I think I don't I think what's happened in the precious metal sector is a negative blowback that the US strategists didn't didn't foresee happening or probably didn't think about.
0: Yeah, yeah, they didn't. And, and it's been and to be honest, Every single sanction they put on hasn't hurt Russia anyway. It's it's blown back on us anyway, especially in Europe. I I don't know so much in the US, but it's certainly blown back on us in Europe. I mean, goodness me. I mean, I I pay something like um, now I suddenly pay £7,000 a year just to heat my home. I I mean, hang on a minute. You know, it it was a fraction of that last year. I mean, why? You know, what, what are we doing here? This is this blowback came to us. Uh, and Russia is actually doing very well, and then suddenly they've, uh, you know, they started to employ, as you say, other strategies, joining together with with China, and then we're not taking sides. I oh, know I'm not Putin's friend. You know, people say, "Oh, you're Putin's friend." No, I'm not Putin's friend. I'm looking at the gold market, the silver market, the potential. Should we be long? Should we be short? Well, of course we should be long. It's undervalued. But um, d- d- Dave, I was going to ask you, miners. Now, you know, obviously I know that people, they should subscribe to your biweekly newsletter and and really it's great value, but there's something, is there something you could, I mean, look, you know, we suddenly see the price of gold going up, see silver cap, but looking like it's gonna go up. Surely there must be some opportunities here.
2: I mean, yeah, ooh. I mean, in most most of the large cap producers, and I, I don't I don't really follow Newmont and Barrick because they're they're just so large and they're so widely followed by everyone, including Wall Street. That I don't really I can't really bring value added to analyzing Barrick or Newmont. You know, you want to know when to buy or sell Barrick and Newmont. You know, figure out when the price of gold is going to go up or, or pull back you know, and, and trade it with the price of gold. Um, and I mentioned the GDX earlier is up 45% since the end of September. Well, I mean, GDX again, I, I don't know off the top of my head, the average market cap of the stocks in GDX, probably, I don't know, two or 3 billion at least. And same with GDXJ, which is supposed to be a junior ETF. I think the average market cap in there now is, is 2 billion or something like that. It's, it's on the websites so for But my point here is that um, the, the, the rally that we've seen in the sector has left behind the junior micro cap project development. I call them the, the, the junior venture capital, gold and, and silver mining companies, it's, it's left them behind. I mean, there's been, you know, specific cases where some of these stocks have doubled or tripled over the last three or four months. But as a, as a whole, this that segment of the sector has really barely moved. And I mean, to the extent, you know, as you, you pointed out, I mean, I think silver is the cheapest investable asset in the world right now. Um, so to the extent that, that, Silver and gold are organically cheap and the mining stocks as a sector or any way you measure it, they're, they're historically cheap. They're almost as cheap as they were back in 2000, 2001, not quite. Um, relative to the price of gold and, and relative to the S&P or the Dow or whatever equity index you want to measure it against. Um, but the junior micro cap sector that to me, that's where your greatest opportunity is right now to, if you're, if you're seeking alpha, if you're looking for alpha in the mining stocks. Um, And that's, I mean, I, I do cover some of the larger cap mining stocks, and I like to recommend relative value trades, sort of intermediate term trades, but in terms of allocating your capital for the potential to make lifestyle changing money, you got to invest in these juniors and you're not going to get them all right. I just, I had one pure gold mining, it, it blew up on me. And I, I'm not the only one it blew up on. There's some some industry insiders who impaled themselves on that stock too. It, it happens when you're investing in companies like that. But uh, on the other hand, um, I cover some stocks that I, I think that are you know relatively far advanced in their projects and they're gonna turn into operating mines or they'll get acquired at some point in the next couple of years. I mean, a lot of these stocks have five or 10 bagger potential in them right now. And I mean, now's the time to get into them. And just, just to kind of add another layer to this, you know, for me, the way that I, I think one of the signs that this move that we've seen in the precious metal sector is gonna be long-term and sustainable. As to the one that stopped or started and then stopped in 2016, I mean that petered out after eight months. And the one that started and stopped in twenty twenty, I mean that that one only went from March to August. So you know, that kind of started petering out in, in five months. Um and this one were let's just call it let's just say we're four months into it now. Um in those previous two cycles that I mentioned, the juniors, the junior microcaps, tripled, quadrupled. Some of them went up 10 times during the period when the sector was rising. And to me, you know, that was unhealthy. But what we're seeing now is they're lagging badly. And to me, that's that's the sign that this rally's got a long way to go.
0: Well, you know, Dave, every time we come to the end of a, of, of a an episode, I always say, yeah, yeah, but how much physical do you own? But what you're, what we what I'm also hearing, this is: if you want to gain a little alpha, yeah, keep your physical, keep it safe, keep it in your, in your, keep it in a place where you know where it is. You could be sure, sure it's there. Now, but if you want to gain a little alpha, this sounds to me like the right time and the right place. So I would honestly encourage: look, this is like an algorithm to me. I do not study the miners. What I do is come to people like you, to Dave and say, you've done all this research. I'm a lazy, I'm lazy. Come on, just tell me which one has got the most uh, potential. And then seek a little alpha around those positions. If it goes right, it goes right. If it goes wrong, it goes wrong because it's not affecting my physical holdings." So I would honestly suggest that people hop onto your website, give it a try. Because I think if you're ever going to choose a moment to get into the miners, you just heard it yourself, and I, and I totally buy into this. With the price of gold and silver rising, of course, of course they're undervalued. This has to be. But you need the right discernment. You need to know. Like Dave, Dave's an algorithm. He, all this information comes at him, and out comes what you know is probably the best thing. It, you know, you could you could write all day about it, but it comes out like that for you. So I think honestly, people should do that.
2: Thanks, I appreciate that.
0: But thank you, Dave, for joining us. Um, Time is never long enough for these episodes, but uh, thank you for joining us. And please, I just can't wait for the next one.
2: (laughs) Well, I usually am loathe to make predictions, but I, I think by the next time we reconvene in the vault, I think the precious metal sector will be significantly higher and I think the equity markets in general will be lower and the dollar will be lower.
0: I would also encourage people to track, um, Dave does a, a really excellent piece for Kinesis on a regular basis, um, you know, we bring in the experts. These are the experts we bring in. These are the people that, um, that, are, that, that provide the education for us all to make good choices and decisions. So thank you for everything you do, Dave really really is a pleasure to be with you
2: thank you for everything you do and um likewise and thanks for having me on the show again or inside the vault
1: (laughs) thank you andrew mcguire and dave kranzler for another fascinating discussion and remember buy physical and make sure it's one-to-one and understand the difference between what andy affectionately calls the casino paper gold and silver markets and the actual physical gold and silver markets they're not the same don't be fooled. And there you have it. That's all we have for you today on another episode of Live from the Vault. Please help keep spreading the word about this channel by hitting that like button, sharing, subscribing with everyone you know, and also click the bell if you'd like to be notified as each episode goes live. And with that, we'll see you next time right here on Live from the Vault. See you then.